Chapter Thirty One of the Alhambra: A Series of Tales and Sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty One: Yusuf Abul Hahias, the Finisher of the Alhambra. Beneath the governor's apartment in the Alhambra is the royal mosque where the Moorish monarchs performed their private devotions though consecrated as a catholic chapel it still bears traces of its moslem origin the saracenic columns with their gilded capitals and the latticed gallery for the females of the harem may yet be seen and the escutcheons of the moorish kings are mingled on the walls with those of the castilian sovereigns in this consecrated place perished the illustrious Yusuf Abul Hagias, the high-minded prince who completed the Alhambra, and who, for his virtues and endowments, deserves almost equal renown with its magnanimous founder. It is with pleasure I draw forth from the obscurity in which it has too long remained the name of another of those princes of a departed and almost forgotten race who reigned in elegance and splendor in andalusia when all europe was in comparative barbarism yusef abul hais or as it is sometimes written hahis ascended the throne of granada in the year thirteen thirty three and his personal appearance and mental qualities were such as to win all hearts and to awaken anticipations of a beneficent and prosperous reign he was of a noble presence and great bodily strength united to manly beauty his complexion was exceeding fair and according to the arabian chroniclers he heightened the gravity and majesty of his appearance by suffering his beard to grow to a dignified length and dyeing it black he had an excellent memory well stored with science and erudition he was of a lively genius and accounted the best poet of his time, and his manners were gentle, affable, and urbane. Yusef possessed the courage common to all generous spirits, but his genius was more calculated for peace than war, and though obliged to take up arms repeatedly in his time, he was generally unfortunate. He carried the benignity of his nature into warfare, prohibiting all wanton cruelty, and enjoining mercy and protection towards women and children, the aged and infirm, and all friars and persons of holy and recluse life. Among other ill-starred enterprises, he undertook a great campaign in conjunction with the King of Morocco against the Kings of Castile and Portugal, but was defeated in the memorable Battle of Salado a disastrous reverse which had nearly proved a death-blow to the moslem power in spain yusef obtained a long truce after this defeat during which time he devoted himself to the instruction of his people and the improvement of their morals and manners for this purpose he established schools in all the villages with simple and uniform systems of education he obliged every hamlet of more than twelve houses to have a mosque, and prohibited various abuses and indecorums that had been introduced into the ceremonies of religion, 
and the festivals and public amusements of the people. He attended vigilantly to the police of the city, establishing nocturnal guards and patrols, and superintending all municipal concerns. His attention was also directed towards finishing the great architectural works commenced by his predecessors and erecting others on his own plans. The Alhambra, which had been founded by the good Aben Alamar, was now completed. Yusef constructed the beautiful Gate of Justice, forming the grand entrance to the fortress, which he finished in 1348. He likewise adorned many of the courts and halls of the palace, as may be seen by the inscriptions on the walls, in which his name repeatedly occurs. He built also the noble Alcazar, or Citadel of Malaga, now unfortunately a mere mass of crumbling ruins, but which probably exhibited in its interior similar elegance and magnificence with the Alhambra. The genius of a sovereign stamps a character upon his time. The nobles of Granada, imitating the elegant and graceful taste of Yusef, soon filled the city of Granada with magnificent palaces, the halls of which were paved in mosaic, the walls and ceilings wrought in fretwork, and delicately gilded and painted with azure, vermilion, and other brilliant colors, or minutely inlaid with cedar and other precious woods, specimens of which have survived in all their lustre the lapse of several centuries. Many of the houses had fountains which threw up jets of water to refresh and cool the air. They had lofty towers also, of wood or stone, curiously carved and ornamented, and covered with plates of metal that glittered in the sun. Such was the refined and delicate taste in architecture that prevailed among this elegant people, insomuch that to use the beautiful simile of an Arabian writer, Granada in the days of Yusuf was as a silver vase filled with emeralds and jacinths. One anecdote will be sufficient to show the magnanimity of this generous prince. The long truce which had succeeded the Battle of Salado was at an end, and every effort of Yusef to renew it was in vain. His deadly foe, Alfonso XI of Castile, took the field with great force, and laid siege to Gibraltar. Yusef reluctantly took up arms, and sent troops to the relief of the place. When, in the midst of his anxiety, he received tidings that his dreaded foe had suddenly fallen a victim to the plague, Instead of manifesting exultation on the occasion, Yusef called to mind the great qualities of the deceased, and was touched with a noble sorrow. Alas! cried he, the world has lost one of its most excellent princes, a sovereign who knew how to honor merit, whether in friend or foe. The Spanish chroniclers themselves bear witness to this magnanimity. According to their accounts, the Moorish cavaliers partook of the sentiment of their king, and put on mourning for the death of Alfonso. Even those of Gibraltar, who had been so closely invested, when they knew that the hostile monarch lay dead in his camp, determined among themselves 
that no hostile movement should be made against the Christians. The day on which the camp was broken up and the army departed, bearing the corpse of Alfonso, the Moors issued in multitude from Gibraltar, and stood mute and melancholy, watching the mournful pageant. The same reverence for the deceased was observed by all the Moorish commanders on the frontiers, who suffered the funeral train to pass in safety, bearing the corpse of the Christian sovereign from Gibraltar to Seville. Yusef did not long survive the enemy he had so generously deplored. In the year 1354, as he was one day praying in the royal mosque of the Alhambra, a maniac rushed suddenly from behind and plunged a dagger in his side. The cries of the king brought his guards and courtiers to his assistance. They found him weltering in his blood and in convulsions. He was borne to the royal apartments, but expired almost immediately. The murderer was cut to pieces, and his limbs burnt in public to gratify the fury of the populace. The body of the king was interred in a superb sepulchre of white marble. A long epitaph in letters of gold upon an azure ground recorded his virtues. Here lies a king and martyr of an illustrious line, gentle, learned, and virtuous, renowned for the graces of his person and his manners, whose clemency, piety, and benevolence were extolled throughout the kingdom of Granada. He was a great prince, an illustrious captain, a sharp sword of the Moslems, a valiant standard-bearer among the most potent monarchs, and so forth. The mosque still remains, which once resounded with the dying cries of Yusuf, but the monument which recorded his virtues has long since disappeared. His name, however, remains inscribed among the ornaments of the Alhambra, and will be perpetuated in connection with this renowned pile, which it was his pride and delight to beautify. End of chapter 31 End of the Alhambra, a series of tales and sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving.